and does not necessarily reflect the opinions of the staff, management, or ownership or sponsorship of Bonneville International Denver. Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on this beautiful day. And by the way, we're not on the fan, as you know if you're listening right now. Uh, normally we are on the fan from 9 to 11. But uh, college football's been bumping us here and there. We got we're, So we're on the 1600 ESPN today. We'll be here uh, next week, too. And then I think a couple weeks in November. But for the most part, you can catch us from 9 to 11 on 104.3 The Fan. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Uh, we're, going, we're in our 24th year doing this show. I've been on the fan for a long time, but it's been a great home for us. By the way, before I get to our first guest, we are having our dog training. If you didn't hear about that, our dog training questions. If you have a dog training question, go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Leave a comment. There's a post that's pinned to the top of the page. Or you can email me at terrywickstromoutdoors at gmail. Give us a question on dog training. Our dog training expert, Ben Garcia from Hideaway Kennels, uh, he'll be on today, but next week, not next week, but the week after, he's going to answer a bunch of these questions. And we're going to pick one question, and I think they have to be in by Thursday. I'll look that up. It says it on the Facebook. But we're going to pick one. We'll do a random picking of one of the people that sends in a question. And whether your question gets answered or not, and whether it's a duplicate question, you'll be in the drawing. And we're going to give away your choice of uh, three free oil changes at um, Prestige Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram in Longmont or a $50 gift card at uh, Colorado Clays. It'll be your choice. So get your dog training questions in. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's go to the phones. And joining us uh, from Tightline Outdoors is Matt Ensley. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Terry. What a beautiful day. We went through that little cold spell. I know you got a bunch of stuff you want to get to, but my feeling when we get a cold spell like that at this time of the year is it just, the, especially with the cool nights, the water temperatures have been a little bit unreasonably warm almost. They start to drop, and it kind of kicks things off, don't you think? It has. I've had some great days right after these fronts move through and drop those water temperatures just the slightest bit. The fish turn on, and uh, it, it's a lot of fun. You can catch quite a few fish this time of year in the fall. Now, I know a couple of things you want to talk about. One is uh, using an active presentation to trigger a strike, and also you want to talk about some pan fishing. And, you know, people are going to think that's counterintuitive. They think of pan fish when it's warm, but especially when the water gets cold for the bigger predators, people think they have to slow down and force feed them and make really delicate presentations but that's really not the choice uh, the that's not really what's going on is it no it's not uh i just had a, a guide trip yesterday up in the mountains and the water temperatures are d- down in the 50s now in most of our mountain reservoirs and we're throwing two baits and working them as fast as we can bring them back to the boat just under the surface and those fish will just nail it you know, you're absolutely right. And so tell us, uh, pick one of the lakes, whether it's the mountains or Cherry Creek or Chatfield, how you approach it this time of the year. What do you look for and what type of presentations overall do you like to use? Well, most of our local lakes here in the Front Range area are stocked uh, heavily with walleye. Uh, 
so that's probably the the number one species that we target in the front range lakes uh, that have them and with walleye it's a a fall jigging pattern and that uh, bait would be a blade bait or a jigging rapala if you're using a blade bait i recommend a half ounce size Uh, if you're fishing uh, beyond 20 feet deep you might have to bump that up to three quarter ounce and if you're using jigging wraps half ounce to a number seven uh, which is uh, even heavier than the half ounce, uh, number five jigging wrap. So fives and sevens. And you work them along the bottom. One of my favorite techniques, and don't overlook jerk baits, they work quite well in this uh, fall season for the walleye and just about any species that you want to target. But uh, I, I uh, like to fish the 15, 20-foot uh, range close to the uh, breaks or structure dropping into deeper water and uh, pull the blade bait along. And strolling is one technique that has become quite popular. And what strolling is, is you cast them out behind the boat, turn on your electric motor and move at about 0.6 to 0.9 miles an hour. And you're ripping it up and letting it fall, ripping it up and letting it fall as you move along. The structure that you're fishing it allows you to cover a lot, lot more water. Now, when you call it strolling, that's kind of a, uh, a that's kind of a technique that's been known in a lot of circles for quite a while, and it's not it's kind of a shoot, offshoot of trolling. Where, but you're not letting the boat when trolling the boat actually makes the presentation. But when you're strolling, you're still making the presentation. The boat is just moving you from position to position, right? Right. There are a lot of road beds and uh, flats that we fish this time of year, and this allows you to cover these huge spanses of water rather than sit in one spot and fish uh, and then move and fish another spot and another spot. You're covering the area effectively and thoroughly to find the schools of fish. And once you hit them, you can stop and work them over quite well. And it's amazing that active presentation, whether it's a blade bait or a jigging wrap, just really triggers fish because you're going to start seeing a lot of stressed bait fish available. And if you just try feeding them with a natural presentation, a lot of times there's just so much there, you get lost in the shuffle. But when you get that ripping of that bait, it just gets an instinctive reaction, doesn't it? Absolutely. That falling, rip it up and let it fall back. They'll track it while they're notorious trackers. They get behind the lure or bait. And they will follow it for a while, and it might touch it or run, rush up to it a few times. You don't even know it, it uh, when it happens, and then all of a sudden they'll just attack it when it hits the bottom. Now, we talk about this technique quite a bit on the show. It's popular with a lot of our contributors. How do you rig up rod, reel, and line for this type of a presentation? Everybody has some differences. I like spinning tackle uh, just because it's more forgiving when you hook the fish. You can uh, not rip the hooks out of their mouth with a spinning tackle. Bait casting can, can uh, be a little too much. And anywhere from 8 to 10-pound line. And I do use braided line for this technique with a fluorocarbon leader tied on a clip. And then I attach my uh, my jigging wrap or my blade bait. Or um, it might be a, a, a jerk bait because if you can get the jerk bait down far enough in the water column, or if the walleye are coming up to feed on those shad schools that are starting to stress and die, the jerkbait can be a great technique to work suspended behind the boat. You know, the um, the setting up a spinning rod with braid 
and a fluorocarbon leader is becoming the go-to presentation for so many presentations and so many anglers. I find myself using it probably about 80% of the time anymore. I do, too. You get uh, much further, I'd say 20 to 30% uh, casting distance, increase in casting distance out of braided lines. Some of the newer lines uh, have a coating on it that even increases that distance cast, uh, casting distance further. And uh, so, and, and the feel is the other thing. The sensitivity is much greater. There's very little stretch in it, so as soon as they touch the bait, you feel them. You know, you have a bite and you set the hook. You know, you have to learn a couple new knots to do it, but it's not that difficult. And another great advantage is if you're running just monofilament, it's still forgiving. In fact, it's pretty forgiving for these jigging wraps and things. But it tends to get hard to manage after just a few times out in the sun and water where just uh, the there's no memory on the braided line, so you can continue to make those presentations. And a lot of times I don't switch out the braid. I just trim it back, and I'll use it for a couple of years on the same reel. I do the same thing. The mono has a memory to it, so it will memorize the coil on your spool. And over time, it gets to where you can't even cast it because the coils won't go through the eyelets on your rod. I'm going to change things up on you here. Um, I know you also love to chase panfish in the fall. Coming from Minnesota, this one of the things, fall crappies, fall bluegills, we used to go just crazy over them. I know you, how do you approach going after these panfish? And do you go after small ponds, bigger bodies of water? Take us through your approach to panfish in the fall. As far as the body of water, uh, it's both. It's small and large. If they've been stocked or placed in those bodies of water, they're going to thrive. They have grass beds in the warmer months to hide in and, and forage. And by the way, the grass beds produce most of the food sources in any body of water that has grass in it. And they're great uh, target areas, uh, particularly in the warmer months. You find yourself fishing around the grass beds because that's where all the species of fish reside. But as fall comes along, those grass beds are dying back. So you got to assume that those uh, predator fish like crappie or bluegill or, or perch or even walleye are going to start to migrate away from those grass beds into deeper water as the water temperatures fall and as the food source leaves those grass beds and moves deeper. So you got to look for mid-depth areas in any body of water. So if you've got a lake that's 40 feet deep, mid-depth would be 20, 15 to 20, and that's where you want to start looking for targeting uh, the panfish this time of year. And then what type of techniques? Do you look for them near structure? Do they move out and hold on brake lines or brush piles? And then what kind of presentations? If there's no, I call those things cover in the water itself. Structure is a change in the bottom content and type of bottom as it drops off. And typically as a drop-off occurs, the bottom content there is hard. It's gravelly or hard hard bottom area. And those are great target areas if you have no cover in the lake. But cover would be shallow grass beds, brush piles as you move a little deeper, any kind of uh, cover like a, a concrete piece of concrete structure. It could be a foundation of an old house. We have a lot of those in some of our impoundments when they were flooded, that kind of stuff. And, and when you find those spots, they will – hold these fish as they're migrating deeper into the basin area, which is where they're going to wind up for the winter months. And then what type of presentations do you use? 
Well, for the panfish, I like to use a slip float system. And uh, I modified the slip float system uh, slightly. It, it still works the same way. You have a bobber stop above the float to stop your, uh, your float uh, from uh, sliding up any further at the depth you want your bait to wind up at. But below that slip float, usually you tie on your lure or your bait hook and then put some split shot for weight. But I did away with the split shot. That tends to pendulum down instead of just drop like a rock. I want to, when you're into panfish, there's not one crappie. There might be a hundred crappie in the school or the same with perch or bluegill. There's, they're schooled up and um, you want to get back into that school as quickly as possible. So I, I eliminate that by putting, eliminating the, the, the uh, split shot by putting a swivel in, in the line. And above the swivel, I use a a slip sinker. You can use a lead slip sinker. Uh, Most everyone's using tungsten now, and that's what I use, a 316-ounce tungsten weight above the swivel. And below the swivel, 20-inch leader with my tube bait, little uh, crappie-type tube bait, uh, or uh, a bait hook if you're using bait like minnows or uh, night crawlers or something like that. We are out of time, my friend, but all great tips. And I think the biggest message we want to get out is this weather is going to get nice, but the nights are cool. The fishing is really going to get better and better almost until freeze up. This is not the time to put your gear away, right? No, sir. We're absolutely nailing the fish right now. All right. So if people want more information or they want to book a trip with you, how do they get a hold of you, Matt? You can reach us at tightlineoutdoors.com or our phone number at 720-775-7770. All right. Thanks. Great information you shared. Thanks for coming on with us today. Thank you, Terry. All right, we're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to tell you about a spot you might want to go duck hunting right here in Colorado very soon on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, today from ESPN 1600. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, coming to you today on 1600 ESPN. Special edition because we got bumped over because of some uh, college football. We'll be here next week, too, and then we should be back at our regular time, 9 to 11, on the fan. So if you like what you hear today, you're not used to listening to the show, tune in every Saturday from 9 to 11 over on the fan. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from Schweitzer State Park is Scott Rist. Good morning, Scott. Hey, good morning, Terry. It's a beautiful day here. How are you doing down in your part of the country? Uh, you know, we woke up to some fog this morning. It was great for duck hunting, but it's turned to clear blue skies this, after- or this afternoon already. Yeah, I-, I was looking at the weather forecast. We're getting into the duck hunting, and that's what we're going to talk about. And I think the hunters are going to have some uh, some high skies, which they don't like here. But we'll talk about that in a minute. First, for people who don't know, tell them where Schweitzer Lake is located, and let's tell them a little bit about it. So Schweitzer Lake State Park is approximately about a half mile south of the town of Delta. Um, it's a small day-use park, which has a 140-acre reservoir, about 15 shelters, a swim beach. You know, the main activities are water skiing, tubing, swimming. And come recently, we've made it into a trophy largemouth bass fisheries. Let's talk a little bit about that. When you say trophy largemouth bass, there aren't a lot of um, lakes in Colorado or reservoirs in Colorado that can say that. I know you stocked it fairly heavily, and you've got a catch-and-release policy. What size of largemouth are you seeing on the lake? 
So we're seeing anywhere from 16 to 18 inch largemouth, and uh, we've only ha- they've only been in there for a, roughly about four months, and most of those when they were put in the reservoir were around 14 inches. So we're seeing some phenomenal growth out of them because of the the water does get about 80 degrees in the summer, and then a huge uh, food source for them to just to grow like mad. Yeah, it's crazy. That's awesome. Unfortunately, your boat ramps, I think, are going to close pretty soon for this year, aren't they? Uh, unfortunately, it's uh, this week, actually. Do you allow hand-launch craft after the boat launch closes, or you no contact? Uh, yep, we allow anything that's non-motorized that can be launched by hand. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I know we're going to talk waterfall in a minute, and that, that activity will be going on, but anybody who's ever caught a 16, 18-inch bass like out of a kayak or a canoe, it's a trip. And I I have a couple kayaks, and a lot of times this time of the year as the boat ramps are closing, I try to get out there because you're not, you're not competing with the other anglers, and it can be an incredible experience. Yeah, we, we see numerous gentlemen come out in the early mornings and, and hit the reservoir just like that, and they're doing phenomenal right now. And you also have sunfish, uh, bluegills, uh Green, I think green sunfish and carp in the lake, is that right? That, that, that's correct, and I wouldn't be surprised if a state record green sunfish would come out of the reservoir. That's what you said. Now, it's catch and release, so it would have to be a measured state record, right? Correct. Right, so you can measure it, take a picture. You made an interesting remark. We were talking about how kids love to fish from shore there. It's a great place for families, and a kid will come running up with a 9- or 10-inch bluegill, and then you got a you know, tell them you got to measure it for them, let them know about it, then encourage them to put it back in the lake. But you don't want to dampen that enthusiasm. I'll tell you, I grew up in northern Minnesota, or my wife says I got older there. She said that I never grew up. But <laughs> catching bluegills uh, off the edge of the lake with just a red and white bobber, it, it, it puts memories that you'll never forget. I think after you do that, you can't cast a bobber out there and watch it without thinking it's moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yep, we, 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 you know, we measure it for them, and then, you know, we educate them why they have to put it back and, you know, try to keep that enthusiasm going and say, hey, we know there's bigger ones out there. Try to go catch one of those. Yeah, it's, that's awesome. Let's talk about the, the waterfall hunting, though, before we run out of time, because that's reason, really the reason you're on. You, um, you have a lot of opportunity to hunt waterfall down there. Tell us about that. So, so Schweitzer Lake is one of the only public recreational areas in the area that people are able to waterfall hunt. And at the park, you're allowed to hunt Saturday, Sundays, Wednesdays, and any state and federal holidays. Um, we have six designated hunt zones that are reservable online or through the phone number. And within the zones, you can hunt anywhere in that zone, but we also put a small blind out that can hold up to four people comfortably, five, and starting to push it. Uh, if you go online, you know, you can. we open the gates about 4 a.m. for people to come in and, you know, put their decoys out and set up. Um, most of the do- great thing, most of the blinds are almost drive up to. I think the farthest one would be about a 60-yard walk out to it. So, you know, carrying your decoys isn't that bad. Well, oh, to the right. so each of this, each of the six areas has one blind, but you can hunt in your zone. Is that what you're saying? Correct. And if they go to the CPW website, 
and under the reservation system, they, they can see a map of each of the zones. Now, do you have a lot of resident ducks down there, or do you rely on migratory, or is it a mix? It's a mix. So early season, it's a lot of residents, you know, and after they become wise of hunters, um, then we start seeing those migratory come in, especially, you know, as north of us starts to freeze up and turn cold. Um, Even as the high country around us starts to freeze up, we, we start to see fluctuations of more coming in. Yeah, they come, they move down from the mountain lakes, mountain waters that are frozen, but they, they stop there because you have open water. You're, you're probably have open water pretty late into the year because you're not that high of an elevation. Is that right? That's correct. About two thirds of the reservoir will freeze over, but there's usually a pretty good chunk of it that stays open. And, and I'll tell you early November through mid December, late December, um, there, there's, not a morning that it's not common to see five, 6,000 ducks and geese on the reservoir before they lift off. That's what you told me, that actually a little later in the season is better. And then, of course, you'll get geese as that opens up. And when you hunt from those blinds, you also said that when there are people in the zones, that your decoy spread can be pretty important. Correct, yep. So, yeah, setting up decoys, you know, playing the wind and which way they want to come in is important. Um yeah, and then later in the season, as, as the lake does freeze over, it, it switches primary over to goose hunting. And, you know, guys will set up their spread out onto the ice um, towards the water's edge and, and draw those geese in and, you know, have really good luck doing hunting like that. Now, are the are these reservations available throughout the waterfall season? Yes, yep, they can be made uh, 14 days in advance um, on the website or through the phone number uh, right up to the day before at noon they can. And then also, um, if there is no reservation, you can come, do first serve, come first serve to them. And after 7 a.m., if it's unoccupied, you you can go ahead and take the, the hunting zone and hunt or in it the rest of the day. And you kind of get a reservation right there, so no one else comes in and hunts with you, right? Correct. All right. That sounds, what a great opportunity. You know, in that, that, that uh, southwest area of the state is really, uh, really well-known for its resident waterfall population. And for a lot of people, especially we had so many new waterfall hunters, it sounds like it might be worth the drive to stay in that area and reserve a blind and, and get out that they, it sounds like most people do quite well there. Correct. Yep. Um, and, and it's with most duck hunting, you know, the, the worse the weather, uh, guys can, you know, fill out within an hour of sunrise. And, you know, you know on clear blue day skies, there's action pretty much all day long. You know, it might be a duck here and there, but they, they'll they'll get their limits uh, a lot of times, especially later in the season, because we are the op- only open water in the area. Yeah, it sounds like a great opportunity. And again, the best way is to go to CPW's website and look at Schweitzer State Park and uh, find out about it. But take advantage of it, folks. This is a tremendous opportunity. It's a little bit of a drive from the Front Range, so it's probably a little easier to get a reservation. Scott, thanks for joining us. Tremendous opportunity. All right. Thank you, Terry. You bet. Scott Riss, you know, if waterfall hunting is just what's starting in some zones today, and in others it starts next weekend. Just get out there. It's a great way to get into hunting. We're going to talk about picking out shotguns, too. 
uh, later on in the second hour with folks from Colorado Clay. So you may want to stick around for that. We'll take a time out. When we come back, we're going to change things up. We're going to talk about spawning brown trout, and then we're going to talk about fly fishing right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1600 ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. Normally, you'll catch us from 9 to 11 on 104.3 The Fan, but we occasionally get bumped over to our second home over here on ESPN when there's a college football game. And so if you're listening to us for the first time uh, and you like what you hear, join us on The Fan from 9 to 11. By the way, we talked a little earlier about our dog training questions. And the fact that if you send in a dog training question, you can go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, and it's there's a post pinned to the top of the page where you can put your question in a comment, or you can email your, your questions to me at terrywickstromoutdoors at gmail. And if you get those in, and my producer Karen just texted me a little while ago that... Uh, the deadline to get the questions is is the 12th of October. Then the su- the Saturday following that, we are going to um, we're going to answer those questions on the air with our expert dog trainer Ben Garcia from Hideaway Kennels, and he will and we will pick out of all the questions. Even if it's a duplicate question, everybody will go into a drawing, and whoever wins that drawing will get a a choice of either uh, three free oil changes at Presties. Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram of Longmont, and I get my car serviced there all the time. They are fantastic, and this is free. This is like a $100 value, and that's cheap considering what they give you for that price. But it'll be free to you, or you can choose a $50 gift card for Colorado Clays to go out and do some shooting. So the winner will get their choice of those. Let's go to the phones right now. And joining us from uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Tyler Swar. Good morning, Tyler. Hey, Terry, good morning. You know, people, we, we're so fortunate to live in a state that has such diversity of fishing. We have, we talked earlier about walleyes and panfish. Um, we're going to talk a little later about fly fishing in both the Rocky Mountain National Park and the Big Thompson. And we just have a, uh, we have wipers, we have bass. Talked a little bit about a trophy bass lake here in Colorado. But I don't think a lot of people understand how important i think they understand in some species how important our hatchery system is and taking advantage of that not only to supplement the actual fishing that's available but to establish in some cases populations of fish that really aren't native to colorado but they've been accepted as that and and maybe establish a wild population and probably no trout no fish fits that mold more than brown trout does it yeah that's exactly right terry so what we do so i'm an aquatic biologist with cpw and i manage the upper south Platte basin so that's anything that flows into the south Platte from the headwaters near uh, fair play all the way down to just about uh, chatfield reservoir just upstream of there in waterton canyon and so uh, um, what we're be what we're talking about today here is brown trout spawn and so you can't run over to the Walmart and pick up brown trout now. So what we've got to do is we go to our, our wild brood stock for brown trout, and we catch those fish, and then we start to, uh, we fertilize the eggs, and then we'll bring those to the hatchery, and then the hatchery folks will take over from there and raise those fish up so we can stock them out. 
Now, when you get these fish, you go and you, I don't know if you electrofish or gill net, and you can educate me on. I know with walleyes, they use a lot of uh, gill nets, but I don't know what the your procedure is with the brown trout. But you're getting these trout because you're taking them out of a couple bodies of water where they're probably going to not naturally reproduce, but you're putting those fish back in those waters so they're there to catch, and you're just taking the eggs, right? Right. So what we use is um, we use trap nets for brown trout, and so it's kind of like a fish lobster trap. So there's a bunch of different chambers in. The fish will swim in one end, and they can't figure out how to get out again. And then we'll come over with the boat, pick them up, and then we'll take them over to um, at Antero Reservoir. We'll take them over to our spawning bar, our spawning trailer, and then over in North Delaney. Um, that's that's run by our our Poudre River and North Platte drainage biologist Kyle Batigi. They have a tent, and they'll bring the fish over to that tent. And so when we we pull the fish out of the trap nets, we'll sort them males and females and juveniles, um, any other species that we don't need, like the rainbows or cut bows. And then we'll take those male and female brown trout, we'll take them into our trailer or the tent, and then we will fertilize the eggs with the the milt, which is fish sperm, M-I-L-T. And in order for that that process to work, we we have these little plastic pans, and we'll squeeze the eggs gently into those pans. Um, we keep everything dry, and then once we we are done with the girls, we usually use three or four girls per pan just to mix up the genetic diversity. And then we'll grab about three or four males and do the same thing, and we'll squeeze the milt on top of those eggs. And that milt or the sperm is not activated until it touches water. So we keep everything dry until we're ready for showtime, and then we'll dump in oh, maybe like a quart of water or so, and then we'll stir that up with a goose feather. And so that goose feather is soft enough that it's not going to break those eggs. I'm sure you've heard we use the same procedure with the, the walleyes. Um, and then we'll stir for 90 seconds. And after that time, the, the sperm will stop swimming and those eggs should be fertilized. And then we'll put them in an, a bath of, it's an iodine submixture to help um, reduce any sort of fungal or pathogens that may be on those eggs. And then they get shipped off to the hatchery. Now, Everybody's kind of familiar with the stock rainbows, which are more, not that you don't stock sub-catchables and try to establish populations, but a lot of the rainbows are stock ready to catch. They're 10 inches. They're put and take. You really want the people to know where you're stocking them because you want them to come harvest them, take it home, be part of the experience. Do you do brown trout the same, or are they more stock as smaller like fingerlings or fry to try to establish populations, or what's the theory there? Yeah, so with brown trout, they're so all of our brown trout are, are, I guess you could call them, they're all wild fish. So they they don't grow as fast in a hatchery setting. And so we, if we were to try and grow a brown trout up to ten inches in a hatchery, um, the the hatchery folks have told me it would take them about two years to get that fish up to size. So they definitely don't grow as fast in a hatchery setting as we would with a rainbow trout. So we, it's just not financially or logistically feasible to hold those fish in the facility for that long. And so we only hold them until they're what we call fry, so maybe like a one-inch fish just after they lose their yolk sac, or up to, um, we're trying to go to make three to maybe five inches is pushing it. And, uh, a two- to three-inch fish takes about four months or so, and then a five-inch fish would take almost ten months. So we try to stock them out when they're pretty small. That way we can keep things going, and um, we get better survival on those fish too when, when they're stocked out small so that they haven't been in the facility that long. What type of waters do you look for? What are the prime waters? I mean, are you 
taking waters like the Arkansas or the Pooter that already have wild brown trout and supplementing it, which the Pooter may need, we don't know because of the flood, or is it mostly lakes? I know you're going to put some back in the two main spawn lakes, but what type of waters typically get these trout? Yeah, so our egg take goal this year is 1.1 million eggs, and then those there'll be some mortality with those, like some of the eggs may not develop. Um, and so we'll, the goal is a 600,000 fish for the state of Colorado. And off the top, we take probably about 200,000 just to restock North Delaney Butte and then Antero. So that way, when those eggs or those fish were to become sexually mature here in, what, three to four years, we'll have fish. We know that those fish are going to be there, so we can do the spawn here again. So it's kind of putting some savings in the bank for us for future. The remaining 400,000 fish are socked across the state by um, the hatchery facilities and, and areas that biologists have thought that you know those fish would do well for whatever management goal, whether that would be increasing diversity of sport fish, trying to establish a new population, um, or some sort of management goal like controlling um, white sucker populations in reservoirs because brown trout tend to be more aggressive and predatory than rainbows do. And so um, browns can be used in some situations to reduce white sucker abundance. Well, I can tell you, we're out of time, but I can tell you from an angler's perspective, this program is working because Colorado offers some incredible brown trout fishing. In fact, this time of the year, as they're getting into the spawn, is one of the uh, most uh, sought after periods for catching big fish. So you guys have done a great job. It's kind of fun to understand where it all came from, Tyler. Yeah, thanks for having me, Terry. You bet. Tyler Suarez from up. He's a biologist and just shows you the work that goes into providing the recreational fishing. And boy, we have some great brown trout fishing in this lake. We're going to take a time out. We come back. We're going to go up to Kirk's Fly Shop in Estes and Maybe we'll tell you how to catch some of these trout right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 10. I almost said 1043 The Fan, but we're on 1600 ESPN today. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. Normally you find us over on 104.3 The Fan. We got bumped because of a college football game that happens occasionally. In fact, we'll be back right here on ESPN again next week, so we enjoy our, our second home away from home on the radio. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from Kirk's Fly Shop up in Estes is Darren Christensen. Good morning, Darren. How you doing? You know, I'm doing great. I'm looking at this weather, and I didn't get a chance to talk to you during the week, but I was chatting with Kirk, and he said when the weather is nice, you head to the park. When the clouds come in, the hatch comes off the big tee, and you head down there, so it's a win-win situation, and uh, just looking at the sky today and what's coming up, I got a feeling you guys are going to be fishing the park a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, it's we got some beautiful weather here today, and it looks like the forecast for the next week or so. So before we even get into the fishing, uh, is this late in the year to have this type of warm for you guys up there, or is it this typical? And how late in the year do you usually have this kind of fishing in the park? Um Actually, this is pretty normal. Um, you know, you'll have some cold days like we did last week where it got a little chilly. And then, you know, as long as you're fishing midday in October, usually you have good fishing until, you know, the third, fourth week of October, you know, towards the end of October. Usually by November, it starts to get, you know, stuff starts freezing up and getting locked down. But most of October is good fishing still. Well, let's talk about that good fishing in the park. What are you guys seeing and uh, how are you approaching it? So up in the park, you know, the brookies are 
in full spawn mode. And the, some of the browns, you'll see some reds with browns on them already. Um, browns usually start a little bit later, but the brookies have been kind of spawning for a while now. So, you know, we try to, you know, not go tromping through their, their egg beds, but um, that's what the other fish are looking for. So egg patterns work great this time of year. Um, we had some rain earlier this week, so, you know, worm patterns are great for that kind of weather. Um, they're still, you know, once it gets warm in the middle of the day, you know, small parachute atoms, small, you know, PMDs, as well as little blue wing olives are really consistently good. And if it gets warm enough, you'll, little small ant patterns are good as well. Now, in the park, uh, this time of the year, do you have to walk very far to get to the fishing, or is it is there a combination of both close access and hike-in? Yeah, there's you have both. So, like Glacier Creek and the Fall River and the Upper Big Thompson, um, you know, you can get really close by just, you know, in your vehicle. Um, you know, just a small little 100-foot walk to the river kind of thing. But if you want to get up in the high country, anything that's kind of a below, like the lakes that are below 10,000 feet or so are still fishing great. And even some of the ones that are above that, as long as you have a warm, clear day, will fish good. I'll tell you, you know, some at least of, for another couple of weeks. Some of those alpine lakes, I've been up there with Kirk. We've filmed some of my television shows, which, by the way, folks, you can see a lot of the Rocky Mountain National Park and the Big Thompson with Kirk and I in uh, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, uh, legacy shows that we filmed for TV a few years ago, but they're still very applicable. I, before we move on to talk about the Big Thompson and maybe the Colorado, is there a prettier fish than a brook trout in full spawn? No, there is not. And and they are in full spawn mode right now. I so, mean, and a lot of them are actually already done. And once they they're done, they go straight back to feeding. You know, when they're spawning, generally speaking, you can't really get them to eat too much except for possibly egg patterns. But the second they get done, they go back to eating because they know they don't have much more time. Well, and I'll tell you what, they look like they're hand-painted. I mean, they're so beautiful. And I've caught them, you know, little ones, you know, four, five, six inches up there on a two- or three-weight fly rod. But I've caught some substantial ones. And then some of the cutthroats and the browns in the park, too, I mean, are so beautiful. And those higher lakes, uh, Kirk and I have got into some very large fish in those lakes. Oh, yeah. They're both in some of the lakes that hold brook trout, there's some big brookies, and you'll find them in the inlets and outlets right now spawning. Um, and then there's some really sizable cutthroats in several of the lakes up there. Let's switch gears and talk about the Big Thompson a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, a few years I wrote one of my columns for the Denver Post on how well that river had recovered from the floods from years ago and how much work they had done in the stream bed. And it really seems like it's paying off. Like there's just a diversity of fishing up and down the river now. Oh, yeah. They d- they've done a ton of work in the lower, you know, basically below the Drake, you know, where the North Fork comes in down to Loveland. That area had been affected a lot by the flood. And they've done a great job of, you know, putting in structure, putting in, you know, root balls so that there's, you know, bugs. And the bugs have come back. And, of course, the fish have come back because the bugs have come back. Now, is it fishing pretty well? Is it weather dependent, or you just take a different approach? Yeah, exactly. You just take a different approach. So it's fishing great no matter the weather right now. Like on those cold, like, you know, on Wednesday and Thursday when it was cold and overcast, there were 
tons of blue wing hatches. Like there was, it was, you know, it was great. On these sunnier days, you don't get as much of that um, down there, but I mean, they'll still hit those kind of, you know, small little blue wing olives and little parachute atoms patterns. But, you know, you can also just, you know, do your usual nymph rigs with RS2s. There's always midges available. Has the hopper dropper thing kind of died off? You know, it seems like that last little bit of cold weather we had Wednesday and Thursday has shut down a little bit of the hopper, but there's still a lot of terrestrials in the form of ants, and they and they're still working well. So, um, uh, first of all, I know that the big Thompson you can fish right through the winter. Kirk mm-hmm. and I have had some of our best days right in the middle of winter. After a week earlier, it had been like 20 below, but it warmed up. And we've had tremendous days fishing, but the fishing will stay good there, right? And you're anticipating you'll be oh, guiding yeah. on the Big Thompson right through the winter, I assume. Oh, yeah. We, we guide year-round down there. Um, you know, the lower part of the canyon will start to freeze up, you know, towards Thanksgiving. But, you know, the upper part never freezes. You know, the upper few miles is open year-round. And if you're hardy enough to go out on one of those really cold days, um, the fishing's great. <laughs> Oh, Actually, some of my best days have been, you know, at the tailwater there has been in, you know, dead middle of February and it's 10 degrees out. Like, they're, the fishing's still great. I remember being on one pool and it was extremely cold the week before, as I said. And the fish had gathered in that pool and we were behind them. They were facing upstream. And I think we could have never moved except we wanted diversity of shots for television. Because <laughs> yeah. there were so many fish in that one pool, you could catch one out of it. And you wouldn't even spook them because they were so thick, and you catch almost on every cast. Yeah, it can definitely be like that in the winter. And, you know, you have less crowds. Um, but right now we got beautiful weather. Um, it's, you know, in the 60s this today, and it was in the 60s yesterday, and it's supposed to be that way for the foreseeable future. So you got some beautiful aspen changing and colorful trout, and make a day of it. Now, are you seeing mostly browns, or are you seeing a mix of rainbows and browns? In in the canyon, you're seeing a mix. It's, you know, I don't, I haven't done a survey myself, but it seems like it's a, almost a 50-50 thing, you know. Depending on the water you're fishing, certain sections have a little more rainbows, certain sections have a little more browns, but it seems to have a pretty good healthy population of both. You think it's getting more pressure because of what happened to the pooter? It definitely is. Um, the Thompson is definitely getting more because people you know from fort collins and other you know northern colorado that would ignore the thompson are coming up and also because of the reservation system with the park um you know people come up and don't realize they need one and they're like well i guess we're fishing the thompson so i think that's led to a little bit more pressure in the canyon although if they get a guide trip with you in the park they don't need a reservation right because you can get them in that is correct yeah. Last thing before we run out of time here, I know you guys also float to Colorado. We've had mixed bag reports during the summer because the water was so warm, the flows were low. I know the flows probably aren't going to come up much, but the water's cooled. What are you seeing on the Colorado River? Are the fish active? What's going on? Yeah, we've actually been running quite a few um, out of our Grand Lake shop float trips over there, and and it's been fishing great. Um, as a matter of fact, reason i'm talking to you is because kirk's over there right now doing one and i'm sure he's doing well um but the flows have been actually pretty steady you know for the last month and a half or so and it's led to really great fishing 
So are you still you're still floating it mostly, not walk waiting? Do you float just do floats on the Colorado? We we do both. We have um, so we float the you know state bridge to um, Pump House that stretch there, um, but we also do walk and wades you know throughout. We have a couple different private properties along the Colorado that we do. Now you could be getting close. We uh, we were talking in the segment before this about brown trout and how the hatchery supplements them and gets them started. Well, mm-hmm. brown trout can be a mainstay in those some of those runs of the Colorado River. And when those big browns get in their spawning mode, um, I love. It's almost like bass fishing. I'm throwing streamers right exactly. up against. Exactly. Right streamer up streamer season's almost here. I mean, it's kind of just starting. Um, you know, the browns that are at this higher elevation. You know, we're talking about the park. Um, they're they're already spawning. The ones down the Colorado probably aren't quite there yet, but they're going to be very soon. Well, and I'll tell you what, uh, a lot of fly fishermen shy away from it or because they don't understand streamers. You know, they how do you get this to drift, you know? And I remember the uh, first time I fished streamers with Kirk, he actually credits me with teaching him how to fish a streamer, which I think is probably a, a platitude I don't deserve. But he... He was trying to visualize the streamer just moving. I said, "You got to give it some life. You got to move it." And these fish are aggressive. They're—I don't even know if they're eating. They're just mad. I think. Yeah, you definitely get those aggressive. Just they just—they're just—they're you're in their territory, and they're building a you know a bed, and they just trying to run you out. And sometimes they are trying to eat it, but a lot of times they're just trying to attack it. Well, and, and streamers are—you uh, know—and if you're not a fly fisherman. You could take um, like jerk baits, little um, hard baits, and throw those up against the bank. But I'll tell you, if you're a, f- a fly fisherman who wants to catch some big fish, the Colorado throwing streamers right now, and the size of some of the streamers you throw is ridiculous. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it, and you'll catch some you know medium sized fish on stuff that there's no way they could have swallowed that streamer. But they're aggressive; they'll still hit it. You bet. Darren, tell people if they want to book a trip. I know even if they just want more information, because you guys are so great. You know, have people stop by the shop. You're so free with the information. You want people to be successful. Tell them where they find the shop and how they get a hold of you guys. So, yeah, our shop is, um, our Estes Park shop is in downtown Estes, which is 230 East Elkhorn. And our phone number is 970-577-0790. And they can just give us a call anytime. Our Grand Lake shop is right there on the you know Grand Ave as you're coming into the main part of town. And their number is 970-627-5021. And uh, kirksflyshop.com? kirksflyshop.com. All right, my friend. Uh, hopefully we got a lot of weeks of really good fishing yet, so people don't put your fishing gear away, right? You bet. We got a, lot of, we got a whole month of good fishing left. All right, my friend. Thank you for joining us today. You bet. Have a good one, Terry. That's Darren Christensen from uh, Kirk's Fly Shop and Essence. Great people, great, great educators, educators when you're learning to fish. They're just tremendous, tremendous people. And you know, speaking of education, we're gonna, our next segment, um, the guys from Colorado Clays are going to join us, and we're going to start educating you in choosing the right firearm for your hunting or recreational shooting activity. All that more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN.